1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: My first court cases, when it all went through, I got the death sentence after I finished the three court. Afghan prison officials have promised to ensure the welfare of an Australian man convicted of murder. He's being held in this part of the prison with other foreigners including Nigerians, Iranians and Pakistanis. Former soldier Robert Langdon was found guilty of murdering an Afghan colleague from a private security company.
2: Hello and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Now, as most of you are likely already aware, as part of One Minute Remaining, we have an Apple Plus and Patreon subscription available. I set this up a few months ago after receiving a number of requests from you about how you can best support the show. Now, I didn't want to just take donations without offering something as a thank you. So, hence why we have the subscriptions available. One of the many bonus extras from these subscriptions is an exclusive monthly episode where I interview other men and women from the world in which we explore. And today, I wanted to bring you a taste of one of these bonus episodes. It is the incredible story of a former Australian soldier, eventually sentenced to death in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. It's a place that for most would instantly conjure up images and thoughts of war, the Taliban, and Osama bin Laden. It's a country that has spent a great deal of its history stooped in conflict. On September 11th, 2001, two commercial planes would hit the World Trade Center in New York City.
0: And some Jamie, people were Jamie, I need you to stop for a second. There has just been a huge explosion, we can see uh, a billowing smoke rising.
1: I've never seen anything like it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center.
2: And would set off a chain of events that would eventually see Afghanistan back at war, with the aim of removing the Taliban from power.
0: Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended.
2: It's a war that would stretch over two decades and leave many casualties from both sides, including, tragically, 41 Australian diggers. But it wasn't just soldiers operating in these hostile and dangerous environments. Many private contractors would arrive in the region, at one point as many as 17,000, all tasked with many different roles. One of those contractors was former Australian soldier Rob Langdon. Little did he know at the time but he would soon find himself in a situation that would end up landing him in an Afghan prison, charged with murder, and facing the death penalty. But we'll get to all that very soon. Rob, mate, thank you so much indeed for for sitting down and having a chat with us. Um, You've got an incredible story, um, which we're going to get all into very soon, but... Um, with uh, the guys, the men and women that I speak to who are incarcerated in the United States, we always start at the beginning with them. So let's do the same with you. Country boy, uh, grew up in South Australia. Um, yep. What was growing up on a, were you on a cattle farm out there or?
0: Yeah, cattle station uh, right up, sort of mid-north up near Lake Torrens, um, about level with the top end of it. Fairly isolated, it was 70s and 80s, so there was no TV, no internet, not really much of no all. no
2: TV no internet no. what do you do Rob I yeah. mean Jesus <laughs>
0: yeah. shoot things yeah. ride motorbikes ride horses live <laughs> life yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah be outside I, I think I did more as a as a kid than most people do with their their lives in general anyway yeah. these days I mean it's it's just nuts what we used to do as kids yeah was...
2: you, you had a, a mum who was uh, had a military background and would you consider your, your upbringing a, a tough up grip upbring like a strict one or
0: mm, not really mm. well, left a sort of Self-managed most of the time, I think. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, pretty pretty easy going. We'd get to get into trouble if we broke something or the late or, yeah, pretty much.
2: Speaking of getting into trouble, yeah. you, you did find yourself in a bit of uh, strife, which is what sort of pointed you in the direction of the army. Yeah,
0: I, I, I sort of didn't – I've never suffered fools lightly. So, yeah, when I was at high school, I used to get in a bit of strife once in a while for fighting because basically yeah, didn't agree with a lot of things that went on. But, um, yeah, I, got, I had a, a assault charge going ahead of me when I was probably about 17, and um, it got reheard. And back then the judge sort of thought it was a good idea if we got pushed in the direction of the Army, so that's what happened. I was going to do it anyway, but with the charge, I would have been sitting on my hands for another year or so. So, yeah, we got it reheard down in Adelaide and, yeah, got pushed through, and I was pretty much in the Army by the end of that year.
2: So at just 17 a young scrappy kid from country South Australia. Rob joins the military and thrives in the environment.
0: It was it was actually good. I, I, it I, it gave me a sense of structure, you know. It was, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I didn't particularly enjoy the Kapuka stage of it because back then I think the training video that they got all the um, all the NCOs to watch before they became recruit instructors was essentially Full Metal Jacket and that was... <laughs> <laughs> that, no word of a lie that's pretty much what we got <laughs> it was it was nothing like it is today or even when I was an instructor it was it was hell bent uh, we got we just got abused we got <laughs> we got bastardized and he just took it on the chin guys never used to cl- like break down and that'll be them they'd, they'd just go hey well let's leave they just jump the fence at night and you'd never see them again it's they didn't sort of carry on about it
2: was there was it everything you sort of hoped it would be or did you have no preconceived thoughts about going to the army or
0: it was i did i think everyone does they watch too many movies or whatever or they get they read too many comics or listen to the old stories of people and you know hindsight's always a little more romanticized i think um you learn pretty quickly it's nothing like that at all. There's people who have joined for the right reasons. There's people who have joined for the wrong reasons. And there's there's some utter psychopaths in amongst all of that. They just shouldn't be there at all. <laughs> Funnily enough, a lot of them end up in leadership positions. <laughs> um, it's, it's just purely because they're so ruthless. It's, it's, it's just how it is. Yeah. They just bully, bully their way into yeah. it. But that was that was the, that was was the a peacetime army, and It was after the Vietnam War and they were just trying to maintain numbers and you yeah, there was a few of those old dudes still kicking around. That was good because you learnt from them, especially the ones who actually done stuff. And I found out years later that a few of them that were there were actually pretty big names back in the day, the guys who were from over Perth and that. And they've just been basically just biding their time until they got out.
2: You know? It's it's funny you say you you say you know there's there's some psychopaths that go into the army. Um, mm. I, remember, I used to work with a guy who was ex-army, and he would tell me stories. He said when he you know first joined, you get on the bus, and they ask you to hand over any weapons you may have brought with them, and people hand over nunchucks mm. and knives and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah, just, <laughs> it's
0: nuts. <I laughs> say, what, are, what are you doing? It's, it's, I just weapons. was sitting on was sitting on the bus, with these these people and they they saying that, and people pulling out all this shit. And I was going, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> just, what, what are you thinking? What, what do you think this
2: is? It was like, Show and ah, tell with the army. I brought my yes. own gear. Joining the army post-Vietnam era in peacetime conditions meant that Rob was unlikely to see much action. And although most might find it hard to understand, for the men and women who joined the armed forces, most of them relished the opportunity to experience combat. It's what they've been trained for, after all. Eventually, though, Rob would get a deployment to Timor. Timor is located north of Australia, off the coast of Darwin. And being such close neighbours, Australia was in the front line of support for Timor's transition to independence and provided security backup to the UN-integrated mission in Timor. This is where Rob finally got to put his years of training into real-world practice
0: it was good because we we actually did stuff we trained for you know it was there was no body armor there was no no walking around with blue helmets we were, we were literally patrolling mountains and jungles for weeks just looking for sign looking for people crossing over the border just clearing areas and it was good we put in standard patrols at night which essentially a, a nice way of saying ambushes and doing surveillance stuff doing um observation stuff it was and it was everything I'd trained for up to that point. How we'd done it in Tully, how you know, it was it was great. Absolutely loved it. And it was just, you'd, I'd just be out for two weeks at a time sometimes and just be in my section patrolling the area, just getting food and water dropped off when we needed it, picked up when we needed it. The area we had was massive. We were only a platoon, so we were stuck, sort of stuck out there on our own. And we had some pretty good assets, so we got to see things, how they should be done. Well, fortunate enough one of the patrol commanders uh, sorry section commanders i worked with we'd been together for a long time in other platoons we actually did our basic recon course together he ended up going over west and um years later after he got out he um, we ended up working on the same contract together in in iraq as well so you know when, you, when you've got that sort of history with people it's, it's very easy to work with them you know it's, it's sort of Bounce off one another of ideas and stuff, and yeah, it just makes it was such a good job. But at, by that time, neither of us were as idealistic as we, we were when we started. We are a little bit more um, grounded, but loved the work, loved being with the boys. So that's it what drove it.
2: So he returns home and is flagged for promotion, a promotion he would fight against.
0: I got flagged early because they wanted me to, to go up the science mess and stuff um and i, I fought against it because section commander or patrol commander is is the best job in the army as an instrument as any any corps i think because it's the only position where you're actually in charge of people doing that sort of thing you know it it, it is it's is incredible even other corps, it's, it's just funny to see and, and like they're supervised but they're not they don't have that. Maybe in combat engineers is about the only other one, but did, infantry section commanders is, is you're doing the core job of the military, of the army, and you're directly responsible for those other eight guys on the deck. Basically, the, the platoon commander gives tells you what he wants done, and you've got to execute it. And uh, so that's what I wanted to do. Oh, that's all I wanted to do at that point. And they said, "No, we want you to go down and sing out and teach for a bit at the school of infantry." And I fought it and fought it and fought it, and I finally went and actually loved it. I absolutely loved it yeah it was just good to pass on all that knowledge i'd picked up over the years and a few of them a few of those people went on to bigger and better things and i was pretty stoked about that when i see see a name of a, guy, a young dig i trained and remember what he was like and yeah you just, you just hear about guys that he had a hand in training early and how they've turned out and it's, it's just a, a pretty good thing to, to know that it's, it's still yeah that they're still around yeah it's, it's especially you know the state of things at the moment with the military they they're the hemorrhaging people because of the, the leadership.
2: Eventually, Rob would become a little jaded with the organisation and the way in which it was led. And when the opportunity comes up in a private protection role, he jumps at it.
0: There was one set of rules for the hierarchy and there was another set of rules for the diggers. And, and I just said, I'm not doing this and I don't want to go. I love the job, but I don't want to go to the science miss if, this is, if I've got to toe the line and say things I don't agree with. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So... At that time, things were really ramping up in Iraq, and I saw a I saw a gap, and um, basically got qualified as a close protection dude. And uh, in South Africa, and um, went into that. And the first couple of jobs I had was with a British company, and um, they were fairly straightforward close protection jobs. Very learn a lot. First one was great. I was we were heavily involved with the elections in Iraq, so we saw a lot of pretty weird stuff and. Interesting ways of doing things and the second one was a little bit more hands-on we spent a lot of bit of time a lot of time out in the town but the way we operated no one knew we were there most of the time we've we've never got any stouches over there because we were so low-key the way we did things
2: private contractors in areas like iraq and afghanistan are certainly nothing new they've been around for many years and it's big business For those willing to take up these dangerous positions, there certainly can be decent money to be made. Although, of course, when you have private contractors tasked with protection and armed in conflict zones, there comes a point where they'll come under scrutiny for what they're doing, with some claiming that they answer to no one and are a law unto themselves. Rob says this just isn't the case.
0: If anything, they're close. Iraq especially, we we're under a microscope over there. It was mainly the, the american companies because of their the association with the us government um they get away with a lot because you take them to even american soldiers they're not not um allowed to be put in a court of law overseas straight up they get in the shit. and so like, yeah you can't touch them not touching them simple as that and and that's that's it you know it's um with that, with the, with the use of private co- um, companies, you go, you go back through history and, and private military companies, the word company itself comes from that. And the, these were, it come about because there was a bunch of dudes who got drafted into going shooting arrows at people in the crusades and that, when they come home, they go, yeah, well, I don't really want to go back to farming. And at that stage, everybody's sort of been fighting the crusades, so, you know, there was, no one had professional standing armies, it didn't exist. But these dudes would just cruise around and hire themselves out. To whoever in Europe, you want you want you want guards, you want you want to, someone to look after your castle, whatever. Who will do it? Pace. you know. That, that, and that's where the, the first professional soldiers came from. And, and it goes back to what I was saying about all sorts joining the, the army. The majority of people who join the army are not there out of any patriotism for their country. They're there because it's a paying job. That's it.
2: So Rob does his time in Iraq and says that his team works so well and so low key that he never, in fact had to fire a single shot. For most people, you might think that was a good experience and I came out of it unscathed. Maybe I'll find a slower paced job somewhere. But not Rob. No, Rob was about to place himself directly in the firing line. You're listening to part of my chat with former Australian soldier Rob Langdon, a bonus episode as part of our subscription service. Rob goes on to talk me through the moment that would change the course of his life for the next seven years.
0: Yeah, they are not toys, they're not used to fucking get people to do what you want, they are weapons. My guys knew that, and, and but none of my guys were up there that night. So, old mate brings a pistol up, and I just took one step back, and brought my rifle up, and shot him forward undusted and you know that range is clean through the chest it was pretty quick so
2: if you didn't think that was bad enough a miscommunication between rob and his team would see rob having to try and flee the country
0: as i'm walking back i'm realizing that they they just all stand there watching me you know, where's the where's the fucking body and i was still in the car and things are <laughs> going off i, I fuck.
2: I really hope you enjoyed this snippet of our monthly bonus episode. To hear the full hour-long chat, uh, you can just click the link in the show notes below. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network.